All right, so we've been through some uh, some rough times lately on this podcast, where for the last three weeks, we've watched the worst shows in the world. <laughs> we watched uh, uh, It's About Time, The Occasional Wife, and The Occasional Wife seems amazing compared to the other two shows, uh, My Mother the Car. My Mother the Car. For a minute, I could, it was so bad, I couldn't even remember what it was that we watched. Yeah, My Mother the Car. Some of the literal worst sitcoms of all time, which just coincidentally all happened Really just those, like, again, uh, it's about time in my mother the car, but right in the mid-60s, what the heck was going on? <laughs> it was a bad era for bad sitcoms. Uh, not only that, but, yeah, our old uh, recorder broke, so we were recording on a dilapidated old phone, and the sound quality was awful. So uh, we're coming out of the woods now, out of the horrible, dark, fog-infested awfulness of both bad sound and terrible shows. The sound, again, this is a brand new recorder we just got, so it seems like everything's working. It might not be perfect, but it certainly will be, will be better than the last three episodes, which sounded awful. <laughs> so thank you to everyone for sitting through those horrible shows and the horrible sound. Everything should be better now. So just to kick us straight out of here, because normally we kind of tie things together. Like, oh, maybe because last week we watched... Uh, a show about a talking car. Maybe this week we'll do Night Rider or something, but not good enough. We need to just get all the way away from shitty TV and just watch something good. So you suggested we should watch Cracker with Robbie Coltrane. So what's your experience with this show? PBS, I imagine, is where I first saw that. I've seen a, quite, a few, quite a few of it, quite a few. Yeah, and I remember uh, just when Harry Potter came out, that was just the first thing that I believe you said to me, but like, oh, that's that's the guy. Yeah, that's how, that's how you guys would know Robbie Coltrane, but he's been around. In fact, he just passed away last last year, I think it was, 2022. But uh, he's a, quite a well-known British actor. Right. And uh, Cracker is excellent. And what I remember of it, excellent. Yeah, Harry Potter was pretty good for that in general, of having, you know, famous-ass Alan Rickman and uh, Professor McGarnagle. I don't remember her name. Oh, Maggie, uh, Maggie Smith. Right. Yeah, so they did a pretty good job of, uh, and they actually hired good kids, too. Like, um, Daniel Radcliffe's done a bunch of neat, neat stuff. I actually just saw a movie he was in where he gets a pair of guns bolted to his hands, so he can't take them off. <laughs> Super weird. British TV, I f uh, movies, TV, whatever, I find they do very well with their child actors because they don't seem to pick them with the idea that they're beautiful or stars or you're an actor yeah well i would say the exception to that in harry potter's case was uh hermione because hermione in the books was always described as sort of mousy and no one liked her and just a weird drab person where emma watson grew up to be you know what's weird with her actually she has a brother who is more beautiful than her it's like man that family's ridiculous but then on the other side there's a uh, like ron Ron Weasley, he's easily the worst actor and grew up to be the gawkiest guy, but that's perfect for him. Yeah. And her, when she started out as a kid in that TV, she was just a normal-looking girl. Like, you know, I, I didn't find she was like, oh, my God, what a beautiful, beautiful child. Uh, she right. just was pretty, pretty standard-looking girl. And she definitely nailed that uh, being really annoying, so no one liked her <laughs> type of thing. But, yeah, so obviously he was, uh, Robbie Coltrane was Hagrid in Harry Potter. So, yeah, like you're saying, that's what I know him from. You're a wizard, Harry. And uh, I was a little surprised with Cracker. Just the first thing I saw was that it, it's from 1993, and I don't know why I'm surprised, because Harry Potter started in the early 2000s. So obviously, if he was in Cracker before then, that all lines up. I just, for some reason, I expected it to be more recent than that. 
because I've seen, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see this because I've seen British comedies from all decades, but not dramas. I don't think I've seen any British dramas from the early 90s. But see, he's a cop, uh, and in the 90s, he would have been, I think he's playing somebody who would be in their 40s, early 40s, 40, 45-ish, somewhere in that range. And in 10 years later, in uh, Harry Potter, he's a much older person. By that time, he's supposed to be, I would say, he's playing a part of somebody who's 55 or 60. Right. At least. And magical, so who can say? Oh, yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. He's 2,000 years old. Half a giant or whatever. Um, yeah, and I guess because I knew him as Hagrid, I'm always surprised when I see him without the beard. I'm like, that's such a weird look that Hagrid it just doesn't have a beard. What's going on? <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, Cracker is a British crime drama series which ran for three seasons and two specials for 25 total episodes. And it was created and principally written by Jimmy McGovern, And uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is one of the reasons, I mean, a lot of British shows don't run, you know, excessively long anyway, but uh, one reason it only ran for three series is he said after the first two, he's like, I I just, he wrote almost every episode and he's like, I I think I'm done. (laughs) So they did do another season and then he came back to do these specials, but, but that's such a nice change from, you know, our uh, North American style, which is once something's popular, just run it into the ground until no one is watching it anymore. So uh, I, I respect that about the British thing. And it was very popular. So the series follows a criminal psychologist, Dr. Edward Fitzgerald, who works with the Greater Manchester Police to help them solve crimes. Uh, originally broadcast from 93 to 95, the show won the British Academy Television Award for Best Drama Series in 95 and 96, and Coltrane received the British Academy Television Award for Best Actor for three consecutive years, 94 to 96. So every year this show was on, he won Best Actor. (laughs) And which, speaking of, though, the difference between America and England, in 1997, they did make an American remake that aired for one season, but I didn't bother trying to track that down, because why? (laughs) You know, we've got the original, why bother? And the other little thing that I thought was neat is, uh, you know, it's set in Manchester, but it's actually filmed in Manchester. And I was thinking, like, I bet... Every British show is actually filmed where it's set because I don't think they could get away with it otherwise. There's too many famous landmarks and everybody knows the famous streets. Like if they tried to make London look like Manchester, everybody would know. And they'd be yeah, like, what is good this? Good point. Good point. I never thought about that, but that's that's probably true. Because we absolutely do not do that. I've been watching this show uh, lately with my cousin. It's called Fringe from the late 2000s. And it's actually a pretty good show so far. I don't mind it but it's like paranormal investigators, X-Files stuff, but it's supposed to be set in Boston. And I was watching the pilot episode and they drove by this place. It's just these power lines, but they're so distinctive that I'm like, those are in Etobicoke. I've walked by there before and I looked it up and yeah, it's filmed in Toronto. Later they moved it to Vancouver, but the whole time they're trying to pretend it's Boston. And that's not unusual. All of our shows do that. Nobody is ever in the city that they're in. Sometimes New York, because it's hard to fake New York. But yeah, I was just thinking that that I bet England never does that because everybody would just be like, you know, that's clearly not the place that it's supposed to be. And yeah, so that's about it. Just I've just got the basic beats. But yeah, let's just watch Cracker and wash away the terror of uh, <laughs> of the last My few weeks. The car. Yeah. So I just got the first. Uh, each one of these stories is a two-parter. Like each storyline was basically two episodes. So I've got the first storyline, which is called The Mad Woman in the Attic. So series one, episode one and two. 
And one thing that I thought was a little interesting is I did track down copies of this show, but then I found it on YouTube and the YouTube version is better quality than the one that I stole from somewhere. So if you want to watch this show, it's on YouTube. Although with the caveat that uh, sometimes they region lock these things, it might only be on YouTube because we're in Canada. If you're in, in the UK, it might not be available on YouTube because they want you to go buy the Blu-rays or whatever. So uh, I can't guarantee that it's on YouTube for all regions, but at least in Canada, it's right there. So uh, season one, episode one and two, the Mad Woman in the Attic, Cracker, 1993. Now let's let all of our pain wash away. I guess that's nice that the, uh, at least the amnesiac guy can go back to the monasteries. I was wondering that this guy who really just forgot everything about his life. I'm like, what is he even going to do now? <laughs> so at least I guess he can just go be a monk or whatever. But yeah, no question that, uh, like what we were hoping to accomplish to actually watch a good show. I'd say, yeah, it worked out. <laughs> it is one of those things though. It's very complicated, like, especially because it's too episodes like what might be just a, a one episode thing in an American show they really had double the time so there's probably a lot of details in that like I feel like if I watch this again maybe that's one of these things that makes a show last for all these years is like you could easily watch this again and I'm sure there's plenty of little details that I didn't totally follow yeah and it's a good psychological lesson too so th that's why I think this show holds up you can probably watch that two or three times and every time you get it you watch it, you'd go a little deeper and get more out of it. Yeah, it'd be the perfect type of thing. Like if I had seen it back in the 90s when it was first on, say, or say, you know, I, obviously it didn't play as much here, just our PBS or whatever, but say you're in England and it just is on every 10 years or so. I'd be like, hey, I'll watch that again because I probably don't really remember the details of the case and stuff. So uh, yeah, really cool in that sense. And yeah, the, uh, just that we keep recognizing people, like the head cop was a, uh, Christopher Eccleston, did you say his yeah, name was? Eccleston, yeah, Yeah, when they first brought back Doctor Who, he was the first Doctor back. The other thing is, too, in this show, they, they really spent a lot of time developing characters, and everybody wasn't, like, black and white. Oh, this guy's a good guy, and that guy's a bad guy. Um, they really delved into their psyche. Even the murderer, they we couldn't hear quite make out some of the dialogue that was going on, but they were giving us all kinds of hints about why he was like he was. The girl cop, you know, we're just getting introduced to her. She obviously is going to be a big part of this show later on. But again, you know, he he uh, puts her on the hot seat there trying to get the amnesiac to say what he knows. And uh, But, I mean, he, he digs right into her psyche. And you can tell by the way she's sitting there, she's so uncomfortable yeah. that, that he's hitting. He's, he's going right to the core with her, and it's true. And uh, <laughs> there's no, like, gee, I'm sorry I had to put you through that, or no apologies or anything. Just hey, let's just put it out there and say what kind of a psycho you are, and here's what your problems are. And 
the whole show is like that. But that's why I think you can keep watching it, and the more you watch it, the more you'll get out of it. That's a sign of a really, really good show. When, when you, some, because some shows you watch them and you say, "Oh, I'll never watch that again," or you start watching, "Oh, I've seen that. Don't want to watch that again." But that show, no, I, I'd watch it again anytime, any number of times. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, not that I know anything about uh, police procedure and stuff, but it definitely it did have stuff that, uh, you know, like he's. Uh, they, that seems like at least in this early, you know, period of the show. This seems like the main hook is that because he is, because Fitzgerald is this criminal psychologist, he does have that way of, he like paints a picture. Let me tell you about you. Let me tell you about your whole uh, personality. But yeah, he goes so, so over the top with it when, uh, when he's talking to this guy who has amnesia. Just like, isn't this how it was? Isn't this how it was when you murdered this guy? Or these, isn't this how it was when you murdered those women? And it probably, he probably was right about the killer. Probably these, these were sort of the, the mindset that was going on. But yeah, just for him to, to say all that stuff is so wildly unprofessional. But on the other hand, he's not actually a cop. So I guess that yeah. kind of works. And as he's doing that, for all of those characters, he's unraveling their psyche and throwing it out there, just whatever, I'm saying it, I don't care whether you like it or not. While that's happening, we're learning all about his psyche. I mean, this is a man who's got so many things that society would put him down for. He smokes like a house on fire, and he's always got a stub of a cigarette. He doesn't even ever seem to have a new cigarette. It's just a little stub with the big ash hanging off it. And he drinks. Uh, He goes to the guy's house, and uh, the guy says, Would you like a drink? Well, anyway, most shows these. Oh, no, I can't. I'm on duty. No, yeah, sure. (laughs) He walks into his house, uh, goes right to the little bar that they've got, pours himself a drink, uh, gambles like nobody's business, and even admits to his wife, well, she's kind of thrown him over now because he's he's just increased the mortgage. The money's gone. His credit card's overrun because he's gambling. He writes checks, and everybody's passing him. We're not taking that check from you, so obviously he's a bad check writer too. He's got so many issues that are wrong with him while he's trying to sort out everybody else in the world. But as he's doing that, that's when we really get to learn who he is. And that's what makes that show, I think, so successful. It's nice, too, because, again, just reading, you know, stuff on Wikipedia or whatever when I was, you know, preparing for this episode, the way they describe the character, it's kind of a disservice to the character where they do just say, you know, drinking problem, gambling problems, blah, 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 this, that, the other thing, alcoholism, you know, all this stuff. But when you just lay it out like that, it, uh, it, I expected the character to be more of a wreck <laughs> than he is. Because he's, he's not even like, you know, sometimes you see shows about like people that are functional alcoholics or functional this, functional that. He doesn't even seem like that. He kind of seems fine. He just has all these things that are happening as well. Like it's not too unbalanced in, in you know, like it almost becomes like a superhero thing with some characters where they're just so drug addicted or so alcoholic but somehow they still do stuff but he can cope and he's so arrogant you see that right from the first scene he's in the college or the university where he lectures and he's just standing there at the front just throwing the papers at people here he's calling their name and the papers are flying around and uh, we're done you know and that's it like just total arrogance (laughs) and uh and i guess just from a tech standpoint you know, uh, I think it, it definitely helps that maybe because a lot of the shots are outdoor or whatever, but but it definitely seems like it must have been shot on film because visually it holds up fine. It looks 
great, despite being from 1993. The main thing where you can kind of tell it's an older show is the sound mixing. Really was the more we were watching it, the more weird it started to seem where it'd be like the, uh, you know, just the ambient sound of like kids in the neighborhood are as loud, if not louder than the principal dialogue. But then also when he was in that guy's house doing a little examination and stuff, it was just the drip of a tap. And it was so loud. loud. Yes, that's right. It was very loud. So I don't know if that was just uh, something about BBC shows of the era, or maybe maybe just every show was like that, and we didn't notice because we were watching them all on an old TV with, you know, a crappy, crappy speaker, you know, like maybe sound mixing and microphones just weren't as good in 1993. I'm not really sure, but But now... They wanted to keep the realism of the show because rather than just lock those things out. They wanted you to know, like when he went into that ba- that man's bathroom, that, I mean, how slovenly it was. The curtain's kind of hanging off in the corner, the tap's dripping. This right. is a man who does not care about what his house looks like. They go to the apartment complex and you hear the kids in the background and you hear a baby crying, like it's almost like the baby's in his arms, it's so loud. But those would be sounds that you would hear in those places, whereas some TV shows would cut all that out because they would want the the scene to be very pristine. These guys don't. They were going for realism. Right. I'd have to assume, again, I don't know a ton about audio tech of the time, but like we, it made me think of when we watched The Waltons, which was, you know, even further back in the 70s, but the uh, bird chirping sounds were really loud. But I, I got to assume it's probably just that all of that stuff was analog back then. You know, they recorded it to actual tape. So it was just harder to mix. Where nowadays everything's digital. Like all they would have had to do is go into their computer, find the track that says baby in the background and just bring it down to 50% volume. It's probably just a lot harder to do that back then. So, but that's the only, the only tech side. Because again, I mean, probably also because we're dealing with accents that are different than ours and stuff. So there definitely were times where we're trying to follow this quite complicated police procedural, you know, situation. And you're sort of struggling to hear through the accents and through the soundtrack that's like sort of muddled. You know, it's, uh, that's partially made it a little harder than it needed to be. I would recommend, I think it's an excellent show, but I would recommend to anybody watching it, don't judge it on the first 10, 15, 20, even 25 minutes because you're introduced to a whole lot of complicated scenarios. You can't fit them together. They seem to make no sense. Um, A lot of people would probably turn that off and say, I don't know what's going on here. But if you hang in there long enough, it all comes together and they do a wonderful job of creating reality because that's what it would be like in the real world. When a murder happens, the answer is not there immediately. You've got to go through all these hoops and corridors and psychological stuff to figure it out and um this show does it but you just gotta hang in there uh, and get past that first 20 minutes or so